All right, looks like we're recording. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, thanks for taking the time to check out this podcast. If you haven't before, um, we appreciate your time. Um, today we have the Barbell Nerds podcast. That's right. right. <laughs> today, today we have Cam Dietz. He's a strength and conditioning coach at Utah Valley. Um, I've talked to him once before, and I think our last talk was uh, really cool, really fun to do. And I'm glad to have him on again. So, uh, Cam, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself? Um, just a brief version of whatever you think is important for listeners to know. Yeah, so um, I've been at Utah Valley. This is my going into my second year now. Um, I work with baseball, softball, both golfs, and men's soccer. Um, before this, I interned at, did a summer internship at the University of North Texas, was a graduate assistant at the University of Northern Colorado, and then was an intern at uh, Delaware. And then before that, I played uh, baseball in undergrad. So. Awesome. So a lot of experience with baseball and you're coaching or yeah, you're working with baseball and softball players um, and golfers who are also rotational athletes. So yep. um, kind of just going off of that train right there. What do you think is important to do with athletes like that from a rotational perspective, rotational strength, rotational power um, with that kind of athlete? So for us, uh, a lot of our a lot of our focus comes from um, obviously just leg strength, power, developing that. When I first got here, I sat down with the head baseball coach, and he just said, you know, we didn't hit enough home runs last year. Um, you know, my guys are too small; they're not strong enough. You know, they we need to get better. We need to get better in the weight room. That's what we need to do. Um, so <clears throat> last year, biggest thing that we did we we went uh, in the off season that fall. Uh, we did like a full triphasic training, 15-week uh, uh, program. So they got really, really strong from the lower half up. Um, and then the rotational pieces that we work in, a lot of it has to do with uh, med ball, a lot of resisted um, slams, rotational slams, med ball tosses, stuff like that. Just trying to work in that rotational component, but also trying to, especially when we got in season, we limit that a little bit because they it's, it's a functional dysfunction. It's a functional asymmetry for them to, to rotate to the left over and over again if they're a right-handed batter, right? So we try not to, to overload that in season. Um, but for us, it was just, look, we got to get them strong this first year. And then this year, we're going to kind of work on some more specific where it's like, okay, maybe this is a little bit more typical of what we would find with a baseball player per se. But that first year was just so much. We just got to get them used to being strong, get them used to being in the weight room. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, and Going off of that, I know obviously you work with a wide variety of uh, rotational sports, even soccer to an extent. Like it, it is considered when they kick a rotation. So like what sort of, I guess, KPIs besides home runs, um, what other KPIs do you use to at least track progress or maybe like obviously, I'm assuming your coaches do bat speed. Um, so are there specific weight room things that you do to track their KPIs from a rotational perspective? So last year, um, last year when I came in, we didn't go into bat speed, exit velocity, anything like that specifically. The only baseball-specific KPI that I would say that we used was uh, grip strength or um, throwing velocity. So the pitchers and I have a really good dialogue of, you know, how was your velocity today and your, you know, what what you hit today in your uh, bullpens? You know, what'd you throw this weekend? You know, whatever the case was, that way I always had an idea of like, you know, early on in the season, early on in the fall, we had a lot of guys that were 85, 87. And then we got to the spring, we had a lot of guys that were 89, 91. 
So a lot of that can be attributed to the weight gain. I mean, on average, I've got it in front of me, like we gained three pounds on average. Our verticals went up three inches on average. So, you know, a lot of that comes from the lower half and being able to transfer weight more so than rotating, you know, and, and I think that the way that our hitting coaches, both baseball and softball kind of teach the swing is a lot more of a weight transfer than a rotation. So if they're a, a right-handed batter, they're, they're stepping and transferring their weight from the back leg to the front leg and then bracing that front leg similar to a pitch where once you pick up that front leg, you're driving down the hill. And then as soon as that front leg lands, it's like a car hitting a brick wall. Everything in the car keeps going forward, um, including the ball, including the, the person, right, in this case, through the to the seatbelt or to the uh, – airbag um but it all comes from that weight transfer from the back leg to the front leg i actually so i understand everything of what you just said because i'm lucky enough to have a father-in-law that is a hitting instructor for uh youth baseball and softball and has a couple mm -hmm. kids that he's trained over the however many years he's trained them in uh the college setting so i've learned a lot about like where power starts from where they kind of like control comes from and i know a lot of it is based on the back leg hip internal rotation and that's yep. kind of like the, one of the biggest driving forces yet as strength coaches we do all this hip external rotation external rotation external rotation is that is overdoing hip external rotation are, are strength coaches overdoing hip external rotation specifically in the baseball or softball world? I think that the more bilateral work you do in the baseball or softball world, the more external rotation you're probably going to have. Right. Um, so I think in the last year I can look back and tell you that we're going to do things a lot differently, whether the incoming freshmen or transfers, like I'm not going to cookie cutter, like just paste the same program that those guys did, even though they got better in the weight room, right? Our trap bar went up, our vertical went up, all these things that I tested in the weight room went up, but did it make them as good of baseball players as it could have? And so one of the things that I've been working on is a lot more um, frontal plane work because of this weight transfer thought. Um, working on a lot of like a Copenhagen, like groin plank, and this is for soccer injury prevention, but also because the adductors have a lot to do with hip rotation as well. Um, and then the last piece is last year we did a very simple like fusionetic screen, and so this year we don't have that fusionetic screen. So I did some, I, I literally just measured everybody's hip internal external rotation, did their shoulder internal external rotation. Something last year we didn't do was the hip, like we did the shoulder range of motion. And we had that, you know, I think driveline is the one that really kind of came out and said, you know, the optimal range of motion you want in the shoulders, 180 degrees. But I haven't gone into their data enough to see what the optimal uh, internal external rotation of the hip is. But that's kind of what we started with this year. So it may not be a KPI per se, but it's a mobility performance and you know it's like an MPI right so I want to see if their internal external rotation goes up and we'll use a lot of hip cars a lot of FRC um, work and trying to get those guys with pails and rails to get more active internal rotation because like you said that should allow you to be able to drive longer and push harder when you're transferring that weight from back leg to front leg yeah those those hip cars shoulder cars pails rails everything I've Unfortunately, that's something I've never gone and done and learned. I've seen YouTube videos. I know, Will, you've uh, seen some YouTube videos as well on this, and I've tried a couple of them. I think I truly need to go and, like, get 
the Canna Stretch or the FRC certified to truly like get it? I'm assuming that's a little bit of what you've done over the past year or two. Yeah, so I haven't gone, I haven't done the certification yet, um, but I've talked to um, the guys that I've worked for in the past. Um, I've made a good relationship with the guy at Kent State too, and just kind of snowballing between like what what do what am I comfortable showing and knowing and what what I feel and what I've done and have experience with and then how can I use what other people are doing really well so like the Kent State baseball program coach Ori has his guys do like an FRC like he has them do a day so he has them lift Monday Tuesday Thursday Friday and then he has like an FRC day on Wednesday so it's like an active mobility recovery kind of day and so looking at his like kind of flow it's almost like a yoga flow and being able to try and implement some of that stuff, you know, because I get them four days a week. And so I want to try and implement some of that stuff too, rather than, you know, some, some more, some more traditional things. Like instead of having like an extra, you know, day where we goblet squat on our unilateral day, I would rather keep the unilateral, you know, split squat or rear foot elevated split squat that day and add in some pails rails and add in some hip sweeps that day like that I like that so sorry you probably mentioned it but when did you start doing the hip testing the shoulder testing was that this past spring when you started yeah, so I, I started I started doing in range of motion liftoffs with the pitchers probably in November December January okay um, but actually testing their range of motion for hips I started like last week so I got oh. most of the guys back on campus. So last year I didn't do that. Um, the athletic trainer had a database of all of the, like we had talked about last time with Fusionetics. He mm -hmm. had the shoulder range of motion stuff from last year. He may also have hip. I just didn't have access to that. So, you know, it's one of those things we collect data and what do we do with it? Right now it's just sitting on a computer, you know? Yeah. So, so my thought with it this year was let's do these two internal external rotations, shoulder and hip, and then before and after to me this year I want the guys to treat that as they try as they treat their uh, you know how important their front squat is and, and their max going up and how important is my you know throwing velocity well to me I want them and, and even the girls to treat it the same with the same value it's like hey my, my internal my active hip internal rotation went up this year and maybe that's the reason that I am you know, 30 yards longer on my on my drives or maybe that's why my exit velocity is five miles an hour higher off of a off of a tee right so I think it's really you know you make it important and then if the kids believe in that they'll also make it important yeah are you planning on retesting that every three months every six months annually definitely, definitely at the end of the semester okay um this semester, like you guys know, is going to be a little bit weird because everybody's leaving after Thanksgiving break. Um, so worst case scenario, they'll do it in January again, you know, and I would like to get it before then. So I'm just going to try and if, like I said, if I make it a priority, it'll happen. Um, it's just going to be a matter of planning. Yeah. And then are you going to compare them? So let's say they improve their hip internal rotation by X. Um, and now they're, let's say for pitchers, they're throwing X amount a miles per hour faster you're going to compare those two right to see how much the performance in the sport improved with their hip and shoulder internal rotation ability is that right yeah 
I would, I'm hoping that there's a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. If, if their hip internal external rotation stays the exact same and their throwing velocity goes up, am I going to be upset? No, their throwing velocity went up. They're technically a better pitcher as long as they right. can throw a strike. Right. But, um, if everyone gets better at whatever and everyone's velocity, whether it's hitting or throwing gets better, then I'm hoping that that's enough for me to be like, okay, this was worth the time we invested. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's, that's a lot like what I used to do with a lot of my ankle work with basketball players. I'm like, well, I, I was trying to rationalize the time spent um, doing all those like little things like ankle hops, just like uh, ankle or band ankle distractions where we lean forward. Like I was trying to rationalize, but it never hurt us by doing that. Like, I don't think there was ever a reason like th thankfully not going well, we never had an ankle injury we had one roll but a uh, guy rolled it on another guy's foot that's right. really it's really hard to stop that from happening right so that, that balance of what's worth your time i think is a it's a question all strength coaches go through and that's kind of like what we've will and i have talked about like what's more worth it by a lot or unilateral work where or olympic lifts power lifts like and a lot of those conversations strength coaches are having online and fighting about it. it's like why pick pick something depending on the time of season pick something that's going to help your athletes get a little bit better and maybe that's different for different athletes right and i, and I know just talking with will i know you're a very big on the unilateral and uh strength work yeah and so for us like i i mean i had that debate all all summer so i have uh, you know, I had maybe five guys consistently all here, five baseball guys that live locally. And so I had them here all summer. And so they came and lifted five days a week and, you know, we did some running and stuff like that, but you know, they came in and they did work five days a week. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I, they talked me into letting them, letting them learn, letting, letting, letting me teach them to clean. And they said, Cam, like, I really feel explosive when I did hang cleans in high school. Like, I know I'm not doing them, you know, like, I'll post stuff on Instagram or whatever. And, and I know I'm not doing it, like, perfectly maybe, but, like, you know, hey, can, can, can you teach me? And I said, I will teach you guys all summer. And then at the end of the summer, we're going to test and see if a hang clean, if you guys can get the peak uh, power to equal, like, a trap bar jump or a barbell jump. And so all summer we worked on hang cleans. We cleaned from the ground. Everything was a power. We never like squat clean, but everything was a power variation. And we were working on it all summer. And these guys got pretty good at it. And then guys started to float back in and they, oh, hey, we're going to clean here. We're going to clean. So half the team's really excited to do this. And half the team's like, oh, well, my buddy at, you know, so-and-so, uh, he like, he hurt his thumb once or he, you know, he twisted his, he, you know, he sprained his wrist and blah, blah, all this stuff. And so I've got this team split on like, we want to do it. We don't want to do it. So I just took one guy that I had all summer and I had to one guy that said that he really wanted to clean and he'd been working on, it on his own. And we used push band and we just tested their peak power, peak velocity on both movements on a trap bar jump and on a, uh, on a hang clean. And the peak power was, was like 300 Watts higher on an 85 pound trap bar jump than it was on a hang clean with you know, 135 or 95 pounds or you know, something, just some the best number that we hit. And the peak power normally comes from that little quick change of direction from the bottom to the top, but it was the easiest way for me to go, look, these numbers are super similar. 
and what's going to give us the best results without the risk of injury and without half the team going, oh, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. Cam's making me do this. I guess I'll do this. I'm not going to do it with 100% focus, intent, effort, these kinds of things. So, you know, and I told the guys that really want to do it, I was like, listen, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. We didn't do it last year and we got better. I love cleans personally. I loved, you know, I, I, I'm not good at snatch, but I like to work on it. So I like the Olympic movements, but at the same time for baseball, I'm not going to do it because I think that it's going to take extra effort and for them to learn how to do it and do it really well. So to me, it's not like the argument of like, oh, should I clean or should I not? It's, I left it up to the athletes kind of thing, you know, and it's like half of us wanted to, half of us didn't. Let's do a test. Okay. You know, we can get the same results out of something else. Whereas softball, they're going to lift five days a week with me. So I'm going to work on cleans on Tuesdays and Thursdays for maybe the first six to eight weeks. And if it looks good, then on those days in season when we're pressed for time, I trust them to come in, do a set of, clean, you know, power cleans, add a couple squats um, do a little accessory push pull and then get out. And so that way I can, I can use power cleans as a micro dose in season, but it takes that off season to teach them how to do it, you know? And so I think that it's not black and white. There's a super gray area. And for me, you know, men's soccer and softball are cleaning and golf and baseball aren't. Yeah. hundred percent. I love the gray area comment. That is very well said. Um, I kind of want to get back into the um, testing the hip and shoulder range of motion. Um, at UND, our football athletic trainers are um, categorizing injuries. Um, so anyone who has some sort of injury, they're going to categorize it and they're going to try to, and it's not perfect, they're going to try to figure out, is this something that we can improve or reduce the risk of in the weight room with uh, some sort of intervention, right? And our data kind of got all fucked up with coronavirus because kids got sent home and now we're going to have to kind of restart. Um, with the hip and shoulder internal external rotation, um, what you're measuring here, do you guys also look at injuries? I mean, for pitchers, they might have, they're going to beat up their shoulders. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. I don't know much about baseball, but they're going to beat up their shoulders, maybe get some oblique strains when they're swinging a bat, et cetera. Um, are you guys looking at injuries and how the intervention of the hip and shoulder mobility work is going to maybe improve um, or reduce the risk of injuries in some way? Yeah. So last year with Fusionetics, it, you know, and anybody that's ever used it, it's it gives you like these red areas of like, hey, you did this, you know, the the simple like um, FMS like overhead squat kind of thing, right? And it's yeah. like, hey, you did this, uh, you know, squat and you had valgus knee collapse. So like this, there's a red area on the hips right away. And maybe they do the single leg squat and you see the same thing and you put, you know, you click valgus or whatever and it notices this, this consistent pattern. And so from there, when you're using a program like that, it gives you a, you know, a base score of like, hey, you know, your hips are maybe 15%, whereas so-and-so's are, you know, 75%. Now that number is just the number. Um, but what it means is like, you have a imbalance where you're more prone to internally rotate and have some valgus knee collapse from the hip joint more so than from the foot or the ankle or whatever the case is. So without Fusionetics for me, um, what, I'll, what I'll see is 
if we don't have 180 degrees of range of motion in the shoulder, like I said, I don't know enough about the hip and what range of motion should be there. I would assume at least 30% each way just based on all the golf and all the baseball guys that I've done so far. Minimum 30%. So when guys like have way less than 30% on one side, it's kind of a red flag to me sitting there measuring it because I've had hip labrum surgery and I lack uh, internal rotation on both sides. So to me, that's kind of that red flag of like, okay, maybe this is an issue of, um, you know, Maybe there's maybe there's a, a a bump. There's a lack of ability to do it, not from a mobility standpoint, but like my femur would hit the um, inside of the pelvis, and that's what would stop it. So when I had the labrum fixed, they shaved down the femur so that it wouldn't do that on the left side, right? So with the shoulder, though, I know that we need to have at least 180 degrees range of motion, whether internal plus external. So if we don't have that, we're more likely to have an elbow injury because the shoulder isn't moving in enough range of motion to protect the elbow, if that makes sense. So if you're sitting and you're looking at the ability to lay back and externally rotate, if you don't have that ability, then the elbow is the joint that actually takes that brunt of that stress. Whereas if I can lay back too far, and I can't internally rotate enough, then maybe I've got either um, like, an imbalance and I might have more of an issue in like the, the, I guess bicep tendonitis, but like the front of the shoulder because I can lay back because my, my external rotators are, are developed well and I have mobility that way. But when I go to internally rotate and actually let go of the ball, um, then I have, you know, that biceps tendon maybe tight and it doesn't let me come through or forward enough. Right. So for me, my internal rotation is greater than my external rotation. And I don't think that that has to do with, a lack of strength in the you know external rotators you know infra supraspinatus teres minor stuff i think it has more so to do with i i don't throw hard enough to get that open and that layback you know if you look at major league guys that throw 95 plus a lot of times if you look at a still photo their elbow is like laid all the way back right so and then on the flip side, if you've got more than 180 degrees range of motion, then you're, you're hypermobile, right? Like a gymnast. Gymnasts have a ton of injuries because of their hypermobility. And the same thing can be said if, you're, if your uh, shoulder doesn't have the right amount. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of something that, you know, you look at, you play with, and, and hopefully there aren't injuries. But if there are, maybe there's a way to say, okay, this is kind of why. Let's narrow it down. But if you don't have the data in the first place, then you can't really look at it. Yeah. I think that's going to be really cool once you get a few years of that data to really look at and see if there is some sort of relationship between whether it's performance-based or injury-based on how much internal rotation, external rotation guys have with their hip and their shoulders. I mean, I haven't looked into research personally on that, but I think you could get some really cool results um, doing that with how many guys are on a baseball team? 30? And uh, Right now we've got 48. Yeah, and then you're just going to be able to get that many guys uh, over and over and over again for a few years. Right. And then I'm, I'm sure you could do the same with softball on some level too. Right, and that's, and that's the thing with softball is it, everything is the exact same with softball 
and then golf's the same, but I didn't do their shoulder internal external rotation. Um, but we did hips. So we're going to be able to see, you know, they're both swinging sports. They both transfer weight from back to front leg. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see, like Sean said, like that, that in, how important that internal rotation is on the back leg. Yeah. Well, uh, with, uh, with the time running out here a little bit, um, Sean, do you have any quick questions you'd like for Cam? Um, one, I just want to compare favorite baseball teams. Uh, Atlanta Braves for me, Cam. <laughs> no, I know that because of the Instagram, yeah. Uh, exactly. No, the, the Rockies are my favorite team because I was born and raised in Colorado, and I'm the same I'm the okay. same exact age. I'm, I'm a month older than the Rockies. So, like, oh, cool. you know, yeah. So, so Rockies, but they're, they're tough to watch. 2007 broke my heart, <laughs> and it, it's been a long 13 years since. So. Fair. That's fair. Uh, and then the other question is, um, now that you've been a guest on our podcast, podcast, and thank you again for uh, coming and spending some time with us today, who should we, uh, who should we talk to next? Who should be in that seat? Uh, I, I love the, uh, the couple guys that I really like that I, I love to listen to. Uh, Jake Tura, the, uh, mm. the endonopathy, like guru dude that's just interviewing all kinds of doctors and all kinds of shit on me and patellar tendon health. I think yeah. that guy has made Will so happy when you see that. <laughs> he, he, is, he is awesome. And I, I, I started following him a year and a half, two years ago or something like that. And from everything, and, and, and the thing that I love about guys on whether it's social media or the, the people that are open with their programming and stuff is yeah. the people that are willing to say like, okay, I was wrong. You know, yeah. or like I'm doing something different. Like recently, he's been doing um, a 90 degree like uh, overcoming ISO with um, uh, leg extension. Mm-hmm. And six months ago, it was all split squats. And then before that, you know, uh, Squat University, Dr. Aaron Horshing, he does like a, like a Spanish squat or like a wall sit is like his big thing. But if we're yeah. talking about you know, the bilateral deficit, like should we be doing our ISOs with both legs or can we try and do split squat? Can we try and do the single leg, uh, you know, a leg extension, you know? And so I just like when guys are willing to say, not say, but like, you know, hey, this is what I did and I'm moving on to this and, and you know, and then it always develops. Like my program is not going to be the same this year as it was last year and it will be different next year too because I'm willing to say that there are, there are better ways to do it, you know? Yeah. I love that. Hundred percent agree with all that. So, all right. The more the more content you can just put out of yourself and just be open for criticism from anyone and change what you believe, I think is there's nothing better than that. So it's a it's a sign of learning. Like that's that's straight straightforward. That is a sign of learning, and that's a good thing. More people need to understand what like that is. It's not insulting. It's like learning. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you look like, I, I can't remember who it was, but you know, somebody, some old school strength coach, probably like Ron McKeefer or something. But like, if you look at your programming five years ago and it's the same today, then you, you have failed your athletes. Mm-hmm. Like you haven't done a good job of educating yourself because there's gotta be something new that you can, not new. It's not like you have to throw it all away. There's like the 80, 80, 50, uh, 80, 10, five rule or something like that. 75, yeah something like that where it's like I'm going to stick with 80% of what I know works and then I'm going to do 15% of stuff where I think it works and then I'm going to do 5% where it's like I hope this works right Mm -hmm. and so that way you're always saying okay what's this 5% so for us this year it's adding in a lot of uh, 
hip and shoulder uh, controlled articular rotations and, and uh, really specific internal external rotation, active stuff that we can do to try and increase that range of motion while we lift. And that's my 5% this year, right? And the other 75% is triphasic. Last year we did submax. This year we'll do supermax, you know. And, and so I know triphasic works to get them strong as hell. And, and their verticals go up too because of all the French contrast jumping and stuff. So it's like I'm going to continue to try and evolve. And I want to use different methodologies and, and combine it, you know. Yeah. Like. Yeah, well, appreciate it, Cam. Um, you're more than welcome to come on another time. I'm sure we'll ask you at some point again. And uh, it was fun, man. Got a lot of a lot of takeaways from today. So thanks for thank coming you on, so man. much. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. All right, man. Really.